Monocles. We'll be right back. Any salsa? Ahi? Ahi. Ahi. Uh huh. Uh huh. Ahu? Huh? Ahu. <laughs> wow. Oh. Awesome hot shit right now. Get it at 443-742-2134. Coming up for 2020, I'm so excited to announce and invite you to my very first yoga retreat, April 2020 in Thailand. I'm bringing together the things that I know and love, yoga, aqua yoga, and travel. For eight days and seven nights staying at a luxurious VIP private villa, we'll be the only ones in the villa and enjoying this five-star service and attention. There's a phenomenal pool where we will be practicing aqua yoga and experiencing floating meditations, which are absolutely sublime. There's three different decks on the property where we will practice yoga, of course. All meals are included. All tours are included. Every day, there's a different excursion from the mountains, the temples, playing with the elephants at a local elephant sanctuary, and praying with the monks that are also local. I cannot wait to experience the culture, the food, the smells, everything that Thailand has to offer. I made sure to keep this group small and intimate to make sure everyone gets special attention, personalized attention, VIP service, and I also made sure to keep the price within reason. I want people to experience the love of yoga, aqua yoga, and travel. Come join me April 26th to May 3rd as we visit Thailand. Please go to my website, how to aqua yoga forward slash retreat. There's plenty of pictures. There's a link if you need more information. And make sure you sign up before December 12th because prices are going to go up. See you then. Now, back to the monocles on soflowradio.net.com. for something a little different. The Monocle started out as a written blog, created to chronicle and give purpose to a sudden abundance of time. With a laptop and a curious mind, a new task was assigned. It was a personal one, to find fulfillment, to be happy every day. The Monocles allows for an expansion of knowledge and healing through stories and laughter. In the Monocles, there's joy in examining and discovering. The Monocles will share the stories about the many people, places, and comminglings that have appeared along this path through a blog and an intention. Alchemy is real. Words, written or spoken, have power and heal. Smile! This is Miami. The opinions and views expressed on the Monocles are not necessarily those of the host, the SoFlo Radio Network, or its sponsors. In this medium, we can do what we want. (laughs) 
welcome to the Monocles. This afternoon, I have the great pleasure and honor to welcome my very favorite aqua yoga teacher and the pioneer in aqua yoga, Camela Nair. Camela, you're a yoga therapist and you've changed my life. And I'm so happy to hear your voice today. Oh, it's great to connect across the miles, Monica. Nice to hear your voice. Thank you. And thank you so much for being a pioneer in aqua yoga. Tell me, how did you discover it? How did you get started? Uh, well, um, I've always really loved water. Um, as a child, um, I was swimming a lot, in the water a lot, and uh, even dabbled um, as a young girl with um, synchronized swimming. I wasn't very good at it at all, but uh, a lot of the conditioning and the sculling and things like that that you have to do endlessly before you even do any of the poses was great practice for, you know, breathing, controlling the breathing and stuff. And um, then uh, I didn't come into that straight away when I was teaching yoga. It was mostly land-based. And then um, a local YMCA that was... Um, really incredible in terms of uh, making yoga accessible and making exercise accessible for diverse populations. They had a, I mean, a lot of the YMCA's, a lot of the organizations have fantastic aquatics programs, you know that. And a lot of people are in the water, especially in America. I mean, the opportunity for people to get aerobic stuff in and mindfulness and, uh, you know, lots of different types of body, um, you know, mechanic modalities in the water is is unparalleled I think in this country and there was an amazing inclusion director at the Y who said is it possible to do yoga in the water and I said yeah because I was already doing that anyway but kept it quiet and uh, and so we tried it out and the students actually were the ones that um, that, that got the program um, that got the program underway so you know even though I might be you know a pioneer in the field it's because of the students had it been the yoga world wait, waiting for the yoga world's approval um, to, to to move in this kind of uh, modality, it probably would never have got off the ground. But it was we'd the, still be uh, waiting. <laughs> yeah, right, right. People would still be in the water. We, you know, regretting the fact that they'd given up their yoga practice that they'd you know done for decades. We see it all the time. I used to do yoga, but I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Or, um, or uh, I've never been thin, young. And trendy enough to do yoga in the first place so um you know it's the testimony and you know what it's like you you get very diverse people coming uh, into the water for prehab post-hab and just general overall fitness and wellness and now because there's yoga they have um they can have a real mindful practice in the water as well that kind of connects to the essence of yoga you and know, you're not swimming with... and you're not swimming this is what I'm not i tell swimming, people no. Swimming right. You're not I, swimming. No, vertical exercise, I think, is uh, you get much more bang for your buck than you do, um, you know, just swimming. It's, you know, it can be a nice meditative groove if you swim. But um, I think you, it's much more powerful practice if you're um, if you're vertical, which means, of course, for a lot of our aging ladies who don't want to get their hair wet, it's it's perfectly fine for them to do yoga in the water. I try to explain to people that it, aqua yoga is not gimmicky. It's not like yeah. goat yoga or wine yoga. <laughs> it's a true form of yoga therapy. Yeah, I know. And of course, there are always some people that poo-poo it. And uh, it's, to me, it's just total ignorance because 
our body's mostly made up of water and what we're trying to do is you know have an evidence-based outcome and it will we, we will get to a point where we do research uh, there are there's research on the yoga on land there's research in aquatics but not necessarily yoga and once people start to um you know we get funded to do some um some research in the water i think it's going to prove very 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 exciting actually um so i'm looking forward to that day hopefully i'll be alive <laughs> when it's I'm pretty sure you'll be one of the people <laughs> spearheading that. Yeah, well, from kidding. so many years. Of, so, actually, how many years have you uh, um, been teaching 20, aqua yoga? 20, Twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's not been easy. I mean, I had to, um, but it's been a great lesson because you know at first you know I was talking to the yoga community about it and they didn't get it at all. They thought it was not possible, or how could it even be possible? Um, but I just kept listening. I decided at some point, I suppose, to listen to the students and to listen to their testimony. And they became um, my greatest teachers. And um, and so, you know, it's it's been difficult, as a lot of people know, in, in that field to have been trying to to teach yoga in that field and educate people. You know, you talk to people and they look, you know, they look at you like deer in headlights. Yeah, a little bit. Or I get yogis to who'll say, oh, yeah, I do yoga in my pool all the time. And it's not necessarily it's, true yeah, either in that sense. Just, well, you know, it's not just necessarily a straightforward translation because you have to understand the mechanics of working in the water about, you know, the buoyancy, the hydrostatic pressure, the viscosity, all those kinds of things. It's not a literal translation. And if you treat it as a literal translation, that's where you're going to lose a lot of people because... Not all pools are warm therapy pools where you can do a, a slow, mindful practice. You might have to add a few elements of, um, I guess, what on land it would be like a vinyasa, wouldn't it? You know, more warming techniques. So you do more warming techniques in the water. And it's not going to look like anything that you do on land necessarily. It's an aquatic domain. And so it has to be different. But for our aging seniors, especially who tend to be underdosing, being in the water is a great um, place for them to be, to exercise, to get the cardio work in and um, practice yoga. So very often it has to be a mixture of, of the two, which is great because you get more bang for your, you know, more bang for your buck again, don't you really? Uh, yes, absolutely. I had the honor um, the last couple of months to mm. be teaching a group of seniors yeah. And at first they were very resistant because I was coming in subbing for an uh, aerobics, yeah, aquatic yeah. aerobics uh-huh. class. And, yeah. you know, they want to jump around and dance. And I was yeah. like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. We're, that's, we're not doing that today. Yeah. But at the end, it was just so um, amazing to mm-hmm. one, see their faces. Yeah. Two, a lot of them brought their husbands along. Yeah. Whoa, big uh-huh. word. Um, And got them to be able to really move in ways that um, they have control. And it's kind of like an age reversal that happens in the water. It reminds me of the movie Cocoon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, they are, um, you know, Dr. Bruce Becker has been doing some work with people with Alzheimer's. And when people get into the water, they can become lucid uh, and, you know, recall, have that recall that when they're on land, they don't necessarily have. So actually, yes, you probably do get younger being in the water and it's, you can have, you know, you can have fun, you know, not take yourself so seriously, which we can all tend to do, especially yoga people. 
Um, and so I think, you know, it's uh, it's lovely when you get couples coming together and doing something, isn't it? You know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And seeing their own progress and watching them grow and yeah. their progress. It's, yeah, it's right. Quite yeah, rewarding. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of the obstacles, the yoga teachers, um, you know, we've invested a lot of time and expense in um, perfect or trying to perfect our craft. And sometimes we just want everyone to know how knowledgeable we are and in an aquatic environment you can't necessarily allow that light to shine but it's great because we educate our students in simple things if you do the instantaneous karma you do this you know the bone into muscle action and this happens you know ascending colon descending colon uh, we're talking about elastic recoil um, in the muscles and, and things like that so it, we're educating them on a very tangible level about what's happening um, and I think it empowers them. We don't want to make them look, you know, stupid or, you know, not worthy of doing yoga or anything like that. Showing our expertise and knowledge. And sometimes we can, you know, tend to do that a lot on land, I think, I find. But we have to simplify um, our teaching skills in the water because it is uh, such a different environment. Um, obviously, we can be teaching on the deck where we're um, quite a you know a distance away from our students. How are we going to find that connection? Um, you know, uh, in a in a pool that may be eighty four degrees, we have to kind of make it a little bit of fun, I think, because that's what a lot of them are coming for—the fun and the sociability. But then giving them concrete instructions and saying, "Well, okay, well, if you move the body in this way, can you uh, can you feel this? Can you experience this sensation?" and and I think we educate them um, into, into trying to be in the present moment rather than just doing exercise because the doctors told them to. Uh, they know they need to do it. And uh, they're just sort of disassociated uh, with the process. So I love working with seniors and especially people who, um, you know, they, they, they never thought that they could do yoga. They never felt like it was in their wheelhouse at all. And it's about self um, self-improvement we've all got to work on our, ourself individually and uh, I like I like to do that I like to uplift people um, as an individual for their own practice agreed um, do your ears ring several times a week because I find myself saying inner body bright inner <laughs> body bright <laughs> that's that's your yeah. teaching that's your well, teaching it's not mine actually no original teaching I heard that from someone else I can't remember who but I liked it and sometimes it's funny because um, you know students will say to me well what exactly does that mean and so uh, I just go to the opposite you know the slumpy position okay do, okay think of do you feel bright do you feel dull and now try to you know ground the femur bones lift the rib cage does that make you feel dull or light so just simple things like that simple cues like that people have an aha moment and um and it's just all about, you know, it's not about the yoga class, is it? It's about how we live and how we approach life. And uh, are we sitting in a slump position? Are we sitting in a fairly upright position? Well, we all get to the slump position, even the meditator in a cave. But, you know, do we recognize that? Can we be wise enough to, to recognize, oops, I've slipped down a little bit. Let's kind of readjust. I mean, that's why we do asana. That's why we move the body, isn't it? absolutely and then the connection with the breathing um, oh, yeah. in the water i think it mm -hmm. just becomes that much more obvious 
Yeah, everything improves in the water because of proprioception, you know, because the water is more viscous than air. Uh, and if we're moving around, if we're moving a limb um, in the water, we're going to feel it differently. Uh, and of course, we're going to load an entire limb rather than just working on, you know, isometrics, you know, muscles, muscle groups and stuff. It's just a whole body connection. And um, I think the fascia, you know, working with the fascia releasing, everyone's talking about fascia releasing, hydrating the fascia and stuff. And I was talking, I was teaching in Chicago um, last weekend for the Aquatic Therapy and Rehab Institute. And there was a girl from England who she's working a lot in the pool with clients and um, they're taking, they're just starting to take um, oh, the scan thing. You know, when you're pregnant, you have the ultrasound scan, mm -hmm. so taking an ultrasound uh, into the water to see what's happening with fascia, which is going to be so exciting. Hmm. It's probably, you know, it'd be so interesting seeing how, you know, strolling under the skin on land versus strolling under the skin in the water. And um, I'm, thinking that I'm thinking that there must be a significant um, slip and slide in the water versus being on land. So we'll see how that research goes there. They're trying to keep it very clinical and working with the university, I believe. So fingers crossed on that one. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's just going to be, um, you know, very interesting how how the research is going to pan out, I think. Totally. And how we can use that knowledge to further... Yeah. Um, you focus a lot on women. How does that come about? Yeah, and uh, that really wasn't my intention. But um, I think it was really a directive of um, of Goswami Kriyananda, who um, is my param guru from the Temple of Kriya Yoga in Chicago. And one of his last major teachings, teaching directions, before he, uh, he left his body a few years ago was... Um, you know, women, we're, we're approaching a different time now and um, women uh, really need to step up and support women in the world because that's where we're going to see the change through women. And um, and so he, um, you know, really advocated us opening our homes, our studios, um, anywhere we could find space to gather women together and just listen to one another and help support one another if they ask because, you know, um, being a woman, very often we, we hear someone who has a, an issue, a situation, a problem, and uh, we're in there. Oh, well, we'll just do this, just do that. But it's just listening. And as you know, you know, I take that through the training as well. Um, you know, the Aqua uh, Kriya Yoga training, trying to share with students um, the need to, to open our hearts and our homes to, to women supporting women it's a big powerful piece as uh, as we're we're moving into this great time of change where supposedly the western woman um, is going to really change the face of yoga and I think it already is quite frankly especially you know the past 12 months or whatever with that me too organization and um, you know transparency full transparent but we're seeing it everywhere it's, uh, it's Great, just across the board socially well, everywhere is the Pluto into Capricorn um, that's been happening for a number of years. And, you know, we're everyone is challenging authority on some level. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're moving back to a sensible matriarchy, um, you know, where we're all tuning into that more introspective side of our being that's going to help sustain and support our planet and um, our sanity for 
you know, for generations to come, hopefully. Saving generations to come. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned Kriya Yoga. One of my favorite mm-hmm. parts of your training was the mystical part that you yeah. brought in. Yeah. Can you that elaborate was... a little bit on that? Yeah. Mysticism, I think, is it was a big piece for Kriyananda. Um, you know, I used to be a bhakti yogi and, uh, you know, chanting and this, that and the other. And, of course, you get into that bliss zone, don't you, after a while. But then, um, you know, through the teaching, um, I attune more to, to wisdom and dhyana yoga. And uh, a lot of that is uh, deeply rooted in the mystical tradition of Kriya Yoga. Um, very often, we, if you, you know, you become a disciple or you become an ardent student, there are um, initiations, if you like, really, into specific breathing patterns, uh, which helps to control the patterning of the mind and I've always been uh, interested in mysticism. It's another thing. It's another um, another aspect, I suppose, of, of yoga um, that's a little bit more esoteric than exoteric. It's a little bit more hidden. And um, Shelley, uh, Shelley Tribber, who was uh, Goswami Kriyananda's guru and a very close disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, he was a, a mystic, a little bit of a, magician if you like really and so I find that really fascinating really fascinating so um, you know it still boils down to the practitioner doing for themselves uh, what needs to be done and sometimes it's not the prettiest thing the nicest thing that we want to hear or to do or to think about but it's maturity being spiritual you know spiritually wise many of um Many of Kriyananda's disciples, um, I think what frustrated him was a lot of them just sat there and watched him gain his enlightenment when what he wanted them to do was get up off their, you know, off their tush and put one foot in front of the other and continue their own spiritual journey. And um, that, I suppose, as teachers is what we're supposed to be doing, upholding the Dharma um, of the teaching and helping students and not everybody wants to know the mystical aspects of it. They just want to know the nuts and bolts, you know, um, and that's fine. But for me, um, I was always uh, really excited about the more mystical, deeper aspects of teaching, which I don't necessarily teach to, you know, my students, but it's me, uh, you know, working for me, <laughs> working on me 24-7. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I thought that, said that or did that. And then it's okay. You got another swing at the bat where you try to do, you know, a little bit better next time. But uh, yeah, I'm totally fascinated by, um, you know, psychology and mysticism and the deeper aspects of yoga. And being able to bring that to others. I totally am with you on that. And Mm -hmm. I find that um, the more that I work on those tools and developing my own tools, the more right. easily they come. Yeah. Um, many times when I'm teaching, so afterwards, someone will ask me, what was it that you said? And I, you know, I really don't know what I said. It came from <laughs> somewhere way beyond me. It just, I was yeah. the conduit for it. And oh, I'm right. kind of grateful for that. I was talking to someone this morning and I said, you know, we're just, we don't have an original thought. We bump into them. Thoughts are sticky and we just open up and attune to a vibration. 
and uh, you know we bump into the thoughts that we resonate with um, at that particular time. That's very true. I when I first jumped into the pool, saving myself from my nearly broken knee, and thought I had discovered and cre- I yo I created something new. It's aqua yoga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in reality, it really did save me. It changed my life. And I'm forever yeah. grateful to your teachings and your generosity for what you share and your knowledge. I think that's just a beautiful thing. All the great ones share. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, I've heard so many testimony of, of uh, water healing people that, um, you know, originally I was very quiet about the fact that I did teach in the water as well as on land. And now it's just like, when I hear people, I, I read a post where someone is suffering and can't seem to make any progress with, uh, you know, yoga application on land. It's like, get in the water. And I mean, I wish Iyengar had been a little bit more forthright with his instructions to get in the water, because I do know that he spoke to at least one person, Eric Small, actually, um, uh, on getting in the water if uh, if his land practice wasn't working anymore for him. So, I you know. I just wish that, um, you know, he'd made a bigger deal of that because everyone thinks of, you know, Iyengar, he's the guy with the prop. But I mean, the best prop is being in the water, Mm. especially for inner body bright and that, you know, lengthening the spine and um, and breathing deeply. Um, It's just much, much easier for people to grasp in the water. And I think so many people um, are not really looking for yoga therapy. they're, they're taking other avenues when they get injured or they're, you know, rehabilitating from an operation um, or they're just, you know, they're just getting older and stiffer and the yoga practice is not quite so appealing to them on land anymore. I had a client in a class yesterday um, in a knee brace and uh, mm. oh, what happened to your knee? Oh, it's an injury. I just activate, you know, it just became a little bit more intense now I'm wearing the brace Uh, so I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to do everything I said that's Mm -hmm. okay but you know what get in the pool and you can do everything and his eyes got really bright he said you know I recovered from a shoulder injury and I was they sent me to the pool you're absolutely right it's like a light bulb went off and I was so excited to be able to share that's right. All is but a remembering, isn't it? You know, we can remember the practice that we had. I mean, I'm having to every year. It seems like I'm dropping another asana out of my um, out of my repertoire on land, and I'm perfectly fine about that because I want to be more stable and strong as my body ages. I'll be able to sit and meditate. I don't want to be, you know, in pain, and then I'm trying to meditate. It doesn't work. You know, I've tried it. It doesn't work. So, being in the pool. Um, you know, for a lot of my, lot of my time, um, I think is time well spent. I can really get to a point where I do feel, um, relaxed and pain-free and I can sit and do the work, that inner work that, um, is so important to me personally. Agreed. My, um, my aqua yoga adds poses to me, things that I won't try or care to try mm-hmm. on land. I happily go into and jump into and can, uh, succeed doing i become yeah. an asana chaser in the pool yeah it's so much fun so if i fall so what i wet my hair big deal you know on <laughs> land i think of all my other injuries that could be aggravated and i just won't do it i know i know and you know once we've been in pain or been down that road hopefully we're not going to go back there again 
was it pain and suffering is to be avoided so we just kind of avoid things and i think that's why a lot of people um give up their yoga practice um you know it just doesn't seem to make sense to them anymore but why not you know we're in a body 24 7 get into the water for a little bit of it and uh, and reset that way I love also the fact that your level one is open to everyone, not just any uh, yoga teachers, people with experience. Yeah. Um, I th- well, you know, I think we're all teachers um, at heart. And quite honestly, if we were waiting for the yoga world to wake up, we'd be waiting a hell of a long time. They've got enough stuff to deal with on land without thinking about, you know, being in the water. But I think the, the clinician, the, um, the teacher who can really think outside the box and look at who's in front of them and say, well, are they really going to be able to enjoy a land practice? Um, especially if they've been in the water for the past 20 years, because that's the only place that they've you know, found peace and disease. I mean, my, um, my next door neighbor, both of them. Um, uh, in fact, only, only recently I've started teaching them chair yoga. They asked me to teach them chair yoga in our community room they've been doing aqua yoga in the summer but it's too cold now the pool is too cold and so they've now um, started to take a look at chair yoga which is fantastic they would never have done that I don't think from the Mm -hmm. get-go so it's wonderful obviously we have to function on land for the most part of our life we're you know moved out of the ocean but um, they had a great uh, you know a great time in the pool um, exploring poses and shape changes and breathing and stuff. And now I guess, you know, they miss it and, um, and they're looking for, okay, well, how can I move my body on land? And I really don't think that they would necessarily have looked at that before perhaps, um, feeling safe in the water first. Mm -hmm. Giving them the confidence to then find another modality that isn't, you know, the 20, three-year-old flexible rubber band that you know many people associate yoga with I know and we've still got such a lot to you know in terms of reshaping the images that we have when we think of yoga a lot of it is the you know that thin bendy young white girl in a crazy pose and um, even you know some articles that I've written and some other um, students actually who've written articles the um, the shutterstock that they use is a thin young white girl underwater holding her breath in a lotus position i mean that's not yoga right that's not aqua yoga and uh and in fact the one i'm not even going to talk about it because i don't want people to look at it but you know even scientific articles we have to question and pull apart sometimes because sometimes the foundation of those um is questionable so we've got a lot of work to do in terms of changing the image of of what people think of as a as a yogi or you know yogini it's about you know being quiet and peaceful and loving and um, moving on spiritually not physically people think that I can't do yoga anymore that just it just puts it into the physical context of the practice which is a shame that's a small part of it as we know a tiny part of it thank you for being a pioneer in aqua yoga what's coming up next for you and how can people connect with you for me what's coming up next um kind of slowly moving towards the holiday season i think it's it's a nice quiet time for me to um to keep up with my filing and things like that next year i'm going to be hitting the ground running again um 
I've got, uh, I should be teaching at the Sedona Yoga Festival, not Aqua Yoga, but I'm going to be doing chair yoga there. They don't have a pool, um, unfortunately, at the moment, but Sedona Yoga Festival and then a retreat on the back of that. Um, I should be teaching um, some more trainings. I've got one in England, um, Austin, um, Florida. So there's a a few others in the pipeline, too. And uh, I should be doing I should be teaching for aquatic therapy and rehab, too. And uh, I'm doing a an aqua yoga retreat. And I notice you're doing one, too, in Thailand. That's really exciting. I'd love to go on that one. Please come. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and uh, and then um, in August, um, Giovanna and I are going to be teaching um, or hosting a um, an accessible yoga retreat. So it's not teacher training. It's going to be just a retreat, you know, because. One thing I find very frustrating is it tends to be young people who are running yoga retreats and uh, there's a different transmission um, of, of wisdom, mm-hmm. <laughs> shall we say, uh, when you just go to a t- retreat like that. So it's going to be an accessible um, yoga retreat at 1440, which is a fabulous center um, in, uh, in Scotts Valley. That's uh, like last weekend in August, I think. Um, so that's going to be exciting. So, um, yeah, there's always something happening and uh, probably another uh, level two training um, in the pipeline, too. So people can connect um, with aquacreayoga.com uh, on Facebook or the website or Camelinaire because there's lots of strings to my bow. Mm. <laughs> I've, got, I've got an active Mars. So, uh, yeah, I do a lot of things. And I think um, short term in terms of a new project, like I don't need anything else to do much. Um, I'm going to be writing a guidebook for chair yoga and um, different, very different kinds of exercises, I think, than than we've seen out there so far in the uh, in the yoga world. So I'm I'm quite excited about that. I'm quite passionate about my chair yoga students and and what they can accomplish. So I'm looking forward to doing that. That's beautiful. Thank you for doing that and for everything that you do. I'm oh, also very interested. Your- of course, of course, just, just trying to follow in beautiful footsteps. And uh, you certainly lead the way in a magical way that um, encompasses so many people. It's the great equalizer. And I yeah. very much appreciate that. I also... I have been wanting eyeing your your uh, yoga sutra cooking book. Oh yes, 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 yeah. I need to start. Yeah, I've done so many things. It's you know I've been focusing a lot on aqua yoga, but there are other strings to my bow. And yeah, um, yeah, that course was done some time ago, but um, time to uh, to start putting that back out there again because you know I had a yoga sutra study group at my home for for some time. And, uh, you know, you can't just have one book. You have to chew upon the sutras. You have, that's why there's terse sayings, because it gives us an opportunity to talk around it and figure out what's meaningful for any time, you know. Um, so we have to, you know, if, you're, if it's mothers uh, looking at the yoga sutras, then you, ter- you, know, you talk in terms of, you know, diapers and bottle feeding and breastfeeding and baby food and, exhaustion and things like that that tends to be the framework of your of the language if you're talking to plumbers you're going to add a little bit of this you know you know copper piping and and that kind of thing you know so whoever you're talking to um changes the reference 
And I, uh, I've always been, you know, cooking a lot. My family, you know, all of us in my family are good cooks. And I've lived in the yoga community for 10 years and cooked and, you know, cooked for some, you know, spiritual teachers um, when they came over to this country, you know, in large numbers. When I've been running retreats, very often I've been cooking for large numbers of people and my students wanted me to um, to write a cookery book. And I said, well, there's enough good cookery books out there. It's like the Yoga Sutras. You couldn't possibly just have one cookery book, I don't think. You have to have a lot of them mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of peel away the ones that are important. And so um, so I was never really uh, fond of the idea of doing another cookery book and just you know putting more paper out there and stuff. Um, and what I really wanted to do was to, to give a, a woman's perspective on the teachings. Um, and at the time, um, I was talking to Nishila Joy Devi about, you know, cause she, her book had just come out uh, on the Yoga Sutras. And um, I said, oh, darn, you beat me to it. And she said, you know what, Camilla, we need so many more books written by women <laughs> about the Yoga Sutras. And... Um, you know, I was kind of it just it, one of those thoughts that I bumped into was that, OK, if I weren't if I were to sort of do a cooking thing, um, could I incorporate the yoga sutras? How would that work? And um, as I started meditating on it and thinking about it, it just seemed so obvious to me that using food as a metaphor for some of the teachings in you know, a book two, primarily the first 12 um, sutras. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we could understand that and every time we're in the kitchen cooking we're using you know a food an ingredient or a technique to think about you know yo- you know sadhana yoga sadhana basically then we're making spiritual progress all the time it's it's a school for the soul and we're either you know conscious and thinking about every opportunity as spiritual growth an opportunity for growth or we're unconscious and we're just whim-whomming, you know, flip-flopping from one emotion to another. And so it came together very, very easily, actually. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm quite pleased with, with how it came about. Um, so 12 sutras, 12 lessons. Um, and hopefully at the end of it, you know, where anytime we, we, we're in the kitchen, we're thinking those thoughts are coming up, bubbling up like a popcorn machine. And we're connecting to the essence of the teachings in a very practical way. So, yeah, thank you for. You make it all so interesting and appealing and very easy to understand as well. I think that's one of your many gifts, too. Yeah, I try to. uh, Kriyananda, one of his greatest teachings, actually, was keep it simple, make it fun. You did share that with us. Thank you for reminding me of that. that's like, well, we didn't want to hear that. Tell us this, you know, tell us the secret of being a great yoga teacher. Keep it simple, make it fun. And I think over the years, um, yeah, I've kept, you know, kept coming back to that uh, teaching. I think it's very profound. It doesn't have to be rocket science. It's simple um, and very applicable, but it's a practice. So, you know, why would we want it to be difficult? We'd never do it otherwise. So true. So true. I think the ego comes in when you want to complicate things. That's, you know. I know. know. Oh, we can talk forever. I could listen to you forever. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. Oh, 
energy, all of the above. Can't wait to see you once again. Take one yeah, of, more of your trainings. Mm-hmm. All the best. Thank you. And hopefully I'll be in Miami and take a class from you. That would be really nice. That would be too funny. <laughs> I would be so nervous. <laughs> I would love to see you in Miami, but I would be so nervous to have you in my class in the pool. Uh, thank you so much. I love you. I appreciate you and can't wait to spend more time with you. Thank you so much for all you do. Thanks, Monique. My pleasure. You hear me? Yay! Hooray! <laughs> Finally. Okay. <laughs> My guest today is Vismaya Rubin. Let me start over again. Hello and welcome to the Monocles. My guest today is Vismaya Rubin, the founder of Gratitude today this maya hello and welcome hi how are you i'm very excited to be here likewise i'm excited to have you here um this theme of gratitude and being grateful and thankful it's so powerful isn't it it absolutely is it's it's definitely played a a huge role in my life and shifted so many things for me I always like to share, especially in my yoga classes, I like to share with people that opening up our heart and being grateful, especially when things are not going the way that we planned and being able to take that moment and stop and not wallow in our misery of things not going the way that we've planned or maybe even worse in our lives if we're in a deep, deep dark whole period of our lives, if we can take that moment and be grateful, it shifts things. There's a power in gratitude. Tell me about your journey and how you founded Living in Gratitude today. What what motivated your um, movement in gratitude? So the idea came to me on 11, 11, 11. I went to a workshop and there was this young girl sitting next to me and she had a box that she kept by her bed and she put things that she was grateful for. She put her worries, she put her dreams, her wishes. And I was thinking that morning I did some fall cleaning and I found these little tiny boxes that I had, you know, that I got when I was traveling and I go, oh, these are cute, but they're, they're not big enough to do anything with. So I, I didn't think anything of it. And then a couple of days later, one of my girlfriends who went on, who was at that workshop with me, calls me up and she's complaining and she's not a complainer. And I thought to myself, well, if you had a gratitude bag, things would be better. And that was kind of how the whole journey started. I started creating gratitude bags. And the idea was that as your day goes by, you write down these things that 
make you smile or make you laugh or make you feel good or nice little things that you did for yourself or somebody else. And that was really the spark. And at the time I was teaching in a high school in Miami and um, I was always teaching character development. And then my last few years that I taught, I taught a writing class and it was based on evidence-based writing. So I said, well, if I have to read factual stuff with my students, I'm going to read about things that I want them to learn. So we did a lot of stuff on gratitude and on happiness. And we actually did some stuff on yoga and breathing. And, and that was, that was the journey. I, but, but, you know, going back, I've always had a gratitude practice. I just didn't realize it. I used to say I'm really lucky. Mm-hmm. That, and, and that makes you luckier. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, your your website, Living in Gratitude Today, um, that just opens up. You like you. I know that we just went through a um, twenty one day gratitude challenge with meditations based on Deepak Chopra's twenty one days of gratitude. But what else can people find on your website? So I have a lot of gratitude swag. I have shirts. I have bracelets. I have a gratitude journal that I created. And I also have um, a movement that I formed. So people are more than welcome to participate in the movement. Um, And the idea is that the more we... I do a lot of research on happiness and on gratitude. So each week I send out a video or I send out a little action set that people can tape that, that allows them to tap in to what they're grateful for. And it also allows them to uncover or rediscover things that they didn't even realize that was happening in their life that they had to be grateful for. So it gives them a whole plethora of tools to keep in their toolbox so that when they're not feeling so great, they open up the toolbox and go, Oh, I can use this today to, to, you know, shift my mood. Or if I'm feeling really great and I want to amp it up, I can open my toolbox and I can use this and it's going to make me feel even better. So we little small steps to building a practice of finding gratitude, finding happiness. I mean, scientifically, this has been proven to work, to raise the vibration, to make us a little bit happier, to change our mood. And it's so big and such a simple act of gratitude can change the way we see things, our perspective. What other tools would you say that people can use on the daily to find that gratefulness? So I want to, I want to say one thing. They are very simple, but they're not always easy. And I think that's the catch. You know, so I want to go back to something you had talked about before when when people are dealing with, you know, stress or they're dealing with challenges or they're dealing with not feeling so great. I think one of the most important things that people can do is, first of all, acknowledge that that area is not doing so well in their life. And I think that the minute we acknowledge it, we're no longer repressing it and suppressing it and, you know, and then it wants to explode. What we're doing is we're giving it a, a place to breathe and giving it a little bit of life, but we're not putting all our energy into that. So what I always tell people is if you're going through a lot of stuff and you want to, you know, practice gratitude, the first thing is, is gratitude is like CPR. So compartmentalize, say, this is the area of my life that's not working. Doesn't mean every area of my life isn't working. It means that this area isn't. 
And then what I recommend to everybody, if this is something that's brand new to you and you're just starting a gratitude practice, to turn your alarms every, to go off every three to four hours. We all walk around with cell phones. They have alarm clocks on them. So every three to four hours have the timer go off. And when it goes off, I want you to stop what you're doing. And I want you to really just pause and take a deep breath and ask yourself, what are my gratitude wins? So who or what made a difference for me? What did I do for myself? What did I do that was nice or new? And, and what made me smile or laugh till my sides hurt? And that's just the way to, it's a guideline. That doesn't mean that's the way you have to do it, but those are guidelines that really give you uh, simple ways to take a look and evaluate your day. And here's the beauty of it. Let's say that you go through that three to four hour period and you're still in a space of nothing happened. That's okay because you get to do it again. So the whole idea is that we're creating a gratitude practice, not a gratitude perfect. And there'll be times that you're feeling, you know, like I've got nothing to be grateful for. And then there'll be times when you're, the more we do this, the more we start to shift the way our brain sees the world. Does that make sense? Of course, total sense. And I really like how you said, instead of repressing something and waiting for it to blow up, um, I know from my own self and my own practice and from some of my clients that are battling depression and anxiety, I know a lot of times we're so scared to look at that dark side. And the more that we avoid it, the bigger that gets. Right. And the moment that we're able to just face it, it's kind of like facing a bully. The moment that you stand up to that bully, it just kind of dissipates. And so the moment that we can stand up and look at that dark side doesn't mean we have to embrace it. We just acknowledge it and take that moment to say, oh, yeah, this is the shit that's happening. Right. Exactly. And and finding something, I believe there is always something to be grateful for. And in my darkest moments, maybe it was just being able to take another breath for something as simple as that. Like I have this one more breath right now to take and to be grateful for that. And it just kind of like spirals and sends us in an upward spiral of being thankful um finding that thing that lightens the situation or all of a sudden shifts our perspective and then the solution comes that much more quickly i hear you i hear you you know when people are in that space i'm not a therapist but um <laughs> i play one on tv no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not a therapist, you know, and I obviously believe that people, if they're that in that space and they're, they're very depressed and maybe they need to seek some professional help. But I also believe that when we're in that space of being feeling depressed or anxious or, or feeling like, you know, a little hopeless at that moment, ask yourself, what is one thing that I can do right now that will make me feel better? And maybe it's go to yoga class. I know that when I'm in a crazy space, going to yoga is just, it, it's delightful for me. But maybe it's for somebody else, it's like going and taking a, a walk outside or moving your body a little bit or journaling, you know, throwing whatever's, I call it vomiting on paper. So if you're going through something challenging, write it all about it on paper and just allow whatever comes out of your mind to put it, you know, to write it down. And then you have a space to kind of, you, you've let some of that energy go. And then you have a space, I think, to work from. 
Agreed. I'm not a doctor or therapist either. I am a mom though. So I, <laughs> I have a doctor <laughs> mom degree, but I speak for my, and I, it's my own, my own story. I speak and teach from what I know. And I know what it's like to be down in the dumps. I know what it's like to have severe anxiety and panic attacks. I know what it's like to live with those things. And believe it or not, yoga and meditation saved me. Yoga and meditation pulled me from that dark, dark place that I was in. And that's really where my um, teaching comes from or my therapy comes from. And we live in a society where it's easy to just pop a pill and feel numb and not feel anything and then feel better. Or um, I used to say, you know, maybe you can drink your problems away, but your problems learn to swim. So oh, very true. Always a, you know, that's not oh, they're good swimmers. So that's not always a good route to do. And just having that ability to be authentic and real with ourselves and say, okay, so this is where I'm at. I can move forward from here. Just acknowledging this doesn't mean you stay there. Doesn't mean that you're stuck there by seeing it. It takes that moment like in being grateful to create and give us a satisfaction that we can find And, um, uh, you know, the universe gives us more things to be grateful for. It's not just on Thanksgiving. It's not just around the dinner table on Thanksgiving. Being grateful is an action that we can take on the daily, on the moment, especially when the shit's hitting the fan. I agree with you. And I think what you said was very important. I think, you know, in my experience and what research shows is that the more we practice, and I really believe it's a, it's a practice and I'm not a fan of the term attitude of gratitude. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of the term gratitude practice. And the more we practice consciously looking for those moments that bring us joy, those moments that make us smile, the moments that make us feel good, the more we're consciously looking for them and we find them, the more we start to see. And um, I, I think that's a powerful thing for people to remember. And the other thing is, is that we're human beings and we are going to go through a plethora of emotions and it's okay to sometimes feel crappy. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel frustrated, but are we going to allow ourselves to stay in that space? And that's where I think, you know, practicing gratitude really allows us to pull ourselves out. I think that, you know, we're supposed to feel all of those emotions. If somebody we love is, is, is sick or is dying, we're supposed to feel sad. Um, and again, if we suppress that and we're, oh, everything is wonderful and perfect. You know, I learned this lesson very, very early on in my gratitude practice. And, um, when in 2013, I was, uh, valentine's day my dad had part of his lung removed two days later my cousin's husband was killed two weeks three weeks after that my mom went in because to the hospital because she had a stroke and then three weeks after that my aunt went into the hospital for uh she was dying and that was we knew she wasn't coming coming back and it was really interesting because throughout that whole process i was experiencing sadness because people that i loved were suffering but i was so clear And I was so conscious of every delicious, juicy 
moment that was joyous. And it was really interesting to me because I remember sharing with a friend, you know, everything that was going on. And she said, Vismaya, I need to stay away from you. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, all this negative stuff is happening to you. And I said, Marilyn, did you hear me complain once? And she stopped for a second. She goes, oh, my God. She says, you know what? All you've talked about were the things that have been showing up that you are grateful for. And it was such a powerful shift for both of us because in that time, I, you know, I got to spend time with my family. I got to be of service to my family. I got to make sure that if my aunt needed something, I was there by, you know, with her to make sure that she was taken care of. And all of that for me, all of those were moments of gratitude. I got to create these moments of gratitude throughout the whole thing. So I think it's important that we remember that we can experience both happiness and sadness, and we can experience both sadness and gratitude at the same time. Absolutely. Like we, we're not robots. We're, we're trying to act like robots and we're not robots. Um, the highs and the lows exist. Those roller coasters of life exist. I believe the, the magical part or the way to sustain is to find when, you know, when we're up on a high, enjoy it, live it, and know that we're not going to stay there forever. And then when we're in the valleys of the lows, bouncing back out of there really quick and just finding that balance in between the two, I think is the steady road to, you know, you know, practicing optimism and practicing positive emotions. And if you look or study um, the law of attraction and um, when we practice and not staying in the, in the misery, like I've had friends who their whole shtick is to complain and woe is me. And when those are the people I try to stay away from them, <laughs> you know, even when they're making jokes about it, because it, it's not funny, that sticks, that sticks with you. I agree. Um, but finding that, that light, the lightness in, in that darkness, it breaks through and keeps us there. So we're not so heavy all the time. We can change our thoughts. And if our thoughts are always negative, then, you know, don't be surprised when a lot of negative shit starts to happen. But when, you know, we're human, so acknowledging it's not looking at something terrible and saying, oh, yeah, let's find the light in this. No, you see and acknowledge the terrible thing that is actually happening, but then pulling ourselves out of that and then finding and switching something our perspective, like I, you know, in a wide-legged forward bend, I have to go to yoga. We're, we're in a wide-legged forward bend. And then you look around and the world is upside down. And when your world is upside down, if you can take a new perspective on it, we find that solution. And yes, there are a lot of crazy people in yoga. And I say, thanks to yoga. I go to yoga because it keeps me sane and keeps me from killing people. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but that, you know, scientifically, this is a true fact. It's not just woo-woo. It's being able to find happiness and the joy of all of the small things. Yes. Little tools. I agree with you. I, I love what you said before about 
and I don't know if this is the way you said it, but this too shall pass. Um, yeah. And that's, and I love that idea because when we're in this high, we want this high to stay forever. But if we remember that this too will pass, it's, it's the same way when we're in the dumps, this too will pass. And I think that that's such a powerful statement to remember at both ends of the spectrum, because we want to stay in that space of high, 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 high. And then when we're not there anymore, it's all of a sudden, oh my God, you know, people tend to go in the, in the dumps. But if we remember, Hey, it's just a cycle. It's just a cycle. And, and, like you said, paying attention to the small things, you know, it's always interesting to me when, when I look at my gratitude charts and I, and I'm constantly writing in my journals, when I look at my gratitude journal, I don't, I remember the big, huge things that happened in my life, but those aren't always the things in my journal. Sometimes it's, I got to watch the sunrise. Sometimes it's a friend might called me and I hadn't talked to him in a while, or my friend sent me this really beautiful um, meditation to listen to, or you know, whatever it is, it's the small things that the more I document them, the more I start to see them. And I think, and we're so stressed out that taking the time to find that balance between the stress and gratitude is also really, really helpful. I know how healing it is. Um, and I, I, I feel that the work that you're doing is really, really important. And um, maybe you can share with us how people can find you and maybe one of your programs, if you can go a little bit deeper into one of your programs and maybe motivate someone to reach out and find that gratitude work for themselves. Sure. So my website, like you had said before, is livingingratitudetoday.com. And an even easier way to find me is to text the word grateful, which is G-R-A-T-E-F-U-L, to the number 64600. So the, the Living in Gratitude Today movement is, is designed to, I mean, let's face it, nobody wakes up and says, I want to be more grateful. I've never heard anybody say that. But what people do say is, I want to feel happier. I want more joy in my life. I want to have better relationships. I want to be better connected with people. I want to feel good. You know, I want to wake up and go, oh, yay. You know, not, not, oh my God, it's Monday. I want to get excited about my life. And that's really what gratitude brings. And that's why I created the Living in Gratitude Today movement. So if you're interested in learning how to tap into what works in your life, if you're learning, if you're interested in learning how to figure out what really works in your life, and to start to see it again with fresh eyes, you're somebody that wants to join the Living in Gratitude Today movement. If you're already in that space of like, yay, life is great, and you want to amp it up, you're somebody who should join the Living in Gratitude Today movement. So it's really simple. You go on the website, livingingratitudetoday.com forward slash join, and you register. It's seven bucks a month. And the idea is that on Sunday, I send you an email to really start your week on the right foot. You know, how many times do we hear people go, Oh my God, Monday morning, instead of like, wow, it's Monday. Like, let's shift that around a little bit. Let's change that. So the activities are, are fun. They're eye opening. They're easy. And uh, some of the feedback that I've been getting is, you know, people are like, I don't open my emails because I get tons of them, but I'm so excited when I know Sunday night is coming and I'm getting a living in gratitude today email. Or, you know, just I had somebody tell me the other day, he says, since I have known you for this past year, I did not even understand the idea of gratitude, but you've brought gratitude into my life. So now 
I see gratitude. I, I can find things to be grateful for all the time. And it's, inter- it's interesting because it's not just women who are coming up to me. We always kind of think gratitude women, but there's so many men who have been hearing me, you know, on radio, on podcasts, on Facebook and hearing my, my newsletters and really tapping into that space as well. And that's, it's really powerful, really powerful stuff. Super. One of, one of the most powerful healers and being able to look at something with blessings and help it dissolve those negative feelings and emotions that we carry sometimes. Thank you so much, Vismaya Rubin. I appreciate, I'm so grateful for you being (laughs) on here and certainly sharing the secrets and the joys of finding gratitude every day. It has been my absolute pleasure. I'm so glad that we connected. Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Namaste, my friend. Namaste. Here's a life formula. Visualization plus vocalization equals manifestation. Working on the theory of your imagination as being a powerful and creative tool for life transformation, we use the mantra OM, the AUM version, where A represents the heart, U represents the throat, and M the third eye. Our mudra, our hand placement, our praying hands, Anjali mudra. You can bring your hands to your heart, throat, or third eye, whichever feels most comfortable for you. Now use your imagination and visualize. See what it is that you want to see created in your life. Chant OM three times as you focus on this visualization and see what you create, what manifests for you in your life. is recorded live each week from the SoFlo Radio Studios in Hollywood, Florida. Written and produced by Monica Uribe. Directed by Christopher Hudspeth. With special thank you to George Rodriguez. All rights reserved.